It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. This is like, uh, we're going back to me and Richard not being in the same room. It's back to like what me and Chris used to do uh, when we had this podcast. I haven't had to pull out my microphone. I haven't had to do this in a while. Yeah, you said going back to, Jamie, I'm feeling so far away from you right now. You are in your beautiful home in Portland, Oregon. I'm in an impersonal (laughs) hotel room in Tucson, Arizona. You and I are going to switch places next week. You're going to be in Arizona. I'm not going to be in Portland, Oregon. I'm going to be somewhere else. But I can't believe you and Chris did this to each other every week. Did you two just not like each other? And this was the punishment that you wanted to give each other? Not at all hanging out. And also, I don't get to see Porkchop this week. So I think this is going to be our worst episode ever. Actually, I, I think that well, we'll see if Porkchop just joins into the episode. I think me and Chris did it separately because the one time we recorded together, there was a bit of an echo. I, I think we've maybe just improved the equipment a little bit <laughs> since then, yeah. uh, so yeah, we can th- actually record in the same room. Um, thanks to thanks to Peregrine Sports for that for sponsoring this equipment. But this really is much much worse because I feel I feel like when you and I are in the same room, the vibe is just much better. Now <laughs> I just feel like I'm talking to a wall, and it's just not the same, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, I can see your face right now. You can't even see mine because my video camera is not even working. So you have no idea what my facial expressions look like. So <laughs> yeah, there was that one moment where I actually felt self conscious and turned the video off. And then I thought to myself, how does this actually help the show if she can't see me? So I will, I will take the emotional and uh, kind of self esteem hit. I'm even going to look into the camera every <laughs> once in a while, and pretend this green light on my MacBook is you. But it's a pale impersonation compared to you, Jamie. I'm really, I'm missing you right now. <laughs> well, it sounds like we're gonna be, you know, not seeing each other for a while. But um, we do have preseason stuff to talk about, and you, part of the reason why I haven't seen you for a while, is because you were prior to Tucson in Costa Rica. Yeah, I have a nice sunburn on my right <laughs> arm from it. Boy, you spend like thirty minutes in the sun that close to the equator, and you're just toast. And there's this one spot on the back of my right arm when I was laying on my stomach and taking pictures that just got roasted. So I've got. <laughs> 
four or five nice little blotches of peeling skin here. I feel bad for the person that was to the right of me on the plane to Tucson yesterday. A really nice educator from Portland named Dion. He was coming down here to recruit from some potential educators from the University of Arizona. But by the time we stopped our chitty chatty perfunctory conversation and started looking at our our phones and our laptops as normal people do, I sat there scratching my arm the whole time. And I'm I'm pretty sure there were a few skin flakes that ended up on his coat. So Dion, if you listen to this, I'm sorry about that. But like you said, Jamie, I was in Costa Rica. So let me toss this back to you. What do you want to know about what happened with the Timbers in Costa Rica? Well, I think a big question coming out of Costa Rica was, um, and we got a few of them, um, did, Whether did, the games actually existed. Did they actually play games? And most importantly from All Jason, right. if, if Milano scores in a friendly and there was no live stream, does it make a sound? Look, that's a very clever, clever phrasing to your question, Jason. I really appreciate it. But we're talking about a human being here. And Lucas Milano is a very nice man who has always been very accommodating with people like myself and Jamie B. Goldberg, who has interviewed him on numerous occasions, by the way. Interviewed him in some occasions where he's actually scored some goals, some important goals. So, Jason, I'm actually very offended by your question, and I I don't even know how to answer it. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> yes, the answer is actually. yes. <laughs> Lucas Lucas Milano has looked good during this training camp. He performed very well against some Saprisa and Arediano teams that admittedly didn't have their full assortment of talent on the field. But Jamie, it just keeps with the theme that you and I have been striking for the last couple of shows there, where this team is pretty far ahead of schedule, physicality-wise, in terms of their fitness. And uh, during the time in Costa Rica, that really continued to shine through. One thing that was interesting to see was Milano starting in that second game, which looked like, at least from from an outside perspective, a sort of closer to their what might be a top lineup. How did you sort of read that um, in, in terms of whether or not Gio was looking at maybe his top lineup or whether there was still, you know, there's still a lot of decisions to be made there? Are you asking me to power rank Lucas Milano and Jeremy Abobasi here? Yes. Is that what you're doing yeah, here, in, a, in a backhanded way, I guess. Well... Jeremy Abobasi had only been in camp for four days, but of course he was with the U.S. men's national team camp before that, so it's not like he was just rolling in off the street. I think it says a little bit more about where Lucas Milano is, and we saw this pattern last year with Giovanni Savarese too, where if you perform well you're going to keep playing. At the same time, Jamie, I really don't want to read too much into preseason results that weren't streamed, so we don't know if they actually exist. (laughs) And they were against... They were against the backups for teams that are in the middle of their season, and admittedly, there were some players out there that weren't backups, but in trying to think about what happened last week, I think the big danger here is reading too much into those games, or trying to read too much into those games, because... It's only, it was only the third week of preseason. There's still a month to go at that time before the first games of the season, or maybe not a month, what, three weeks or so? So if we're trying to read the tea leaves here of what happened in Costa Rica, I would just prefer us wash out the cup and pour a new pot. <laughs> so, I mean, were there any other big takeaways that you took, you left Costa Rica with uh, outside of maybe the fact that the Timbers are further along? Uh, was there anything else that stood out to you while you were there? Yeah, there were definitely some individual performances that stood out. Uh, kind of, in, we were talking about Jeremy Abobasi joining camp 
Marvin Luria, Davi Guzman also joined camp. Marvin Luria is one of the better players in the team right now, and maybe that's because his level had to be very high to compete with the Costa Rican national team, and a lot of those players in that camp more experienced at the international level than him. But also, you can just see the physical development in Marvin Luria, too. He came in last year, 19, 20 years old not quite grown into his body yet. The guy has put in some work in the weight room. I think a couple of the young Timbers have too. It's kind of scary. I'm, I'm wondering how much upper body some of these guys are doing. Foster Langsdorf has been showing off the arsenal lately too. Uh, but Marvin Luria at this point in time looks like he is not only the real USL deal, but the real MLS deal. And, and Jamie, I guess I'll bounce this back to you because I've said my piece on this. Are we in danger of making too much out of these nuggets that we're seeing in the preseason that we're trying to kind of hyperanalyze because there isn't much to go on this far before March 2nd or should we be taking this a little bit more seriously and saying the form that I saw from Marvin Luria last week the form that we saw from Tomas Konechny during the trainings in Portland do those things actually matter a lot uh, I, I mean, I, I think there's a huge danger in, in taking it too seriously. Uh, having covered a lot of these preseasons now, I, I think that preseason results, preseason form, you they only mean so much. I, I think it's clearly a good sign um, if Marvin Luria is looking good. Um, that's a player that you didn't know coming in, whether or not what kind of role he would play this year. If he if he's a guy that can actually contribute, um, that's going to make a big difference. If, if Thomas Konechny can actually contribute that's going to make a difference and and i think we talked a little bit last week um or last time we talked about christian paredes and the form he's in as well if some of these young players that are showing well in preseason and are able to take that form and it translates into the mls season that's gonna be huge for the timbers but i think year in and year out that's been a danger of reading too much into what's going on in preseason you can't really judge the competition a goal here against the team that might be playing their subs or or is also in preseason form as we'll see down in Arizona. There's only so much you should be taking away from that. Um, so I, it's sort of tre- tread lightly uh, in trying to read too much in, into what's going on. Yeah, but how not fun is that? Because what else are we going to talk about, Jamie? (laughs) But at the same time, I think it is good to note that some people are at least moving in the right direction. And I hadn't thought about this before talking with you right now, but Lucas Milano, uh, Dyron Espria has looked good also in this training camp. Marvin Luria has looked good. To me, I wonder, well, let me backtrack here a bit. When you and I were asking questions of all the players over these last two weeks, talking about the lack of a real vacation in the offseason, talking about everybody coming back in pretty good physical shape, they kept pointing to, you know, the season just... It wasn't so long ago that we were competing. It's almost like we didn't have a real break off. We're picking up where we left off. Jamie, I kind of wonder if it's possible that the slow progress that we saw during the season that Giovanni Savarese made with Dairon Espria, where there was a lot of doubts about him during the season and then playoff Espria showed up. And then also Lucas Milano, where he came back and eventually was a valuable sub off the bench. Is it possible that these guys could pick up where they left off at the end of last season? Because those two players have really jumped out as players that seem to be ready. Is it just that they know that they're going to have to compete for time? Or is it possible that the lack of time off between seasons also allows Giovanni Savarese and their staff to build on lessons that haven't been forgotten yet? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible, but... there's a a lot to consider. I mean, we saw Lucas Milano in 2015 and how he performed in 2016 and what that kind of looked like. They had a short off season there too. It didn't translate into him 
um, being a lot better in 2016. So I, I am wary about reading too much into preseason. I think anytime there's a coaching change, it, the way Giovanni Savaresi has worked with these players, I mean, that's something we've talked about a lot this year so far, just being second year under the same head coach, knowing what to expect. I think that helps. And I, I do think a lot of these players – um, Milano's in a very different situation now that he was in 2016. He was coming in with that sort of investment, sort of expected to step up. Now he is a guy competing for time. That is motivation. Espria is in a similar situation where he's competing for every opportunity. That's motivation. Um, and, and both of these players showed well towards the end of last year. So that's a, there is the possibility that they're picking up where they left off. Um but, I mean, both those players, as with anyone on the team, is going to have to show that that can translate into the MLS season. Jamie, I did notice that you brought up 2016 there. And I, I just want to reiterate, Lucas Milano is a very, very nice man. And I don't know why people like Jason or yourself or keep bringing up these things, Jamie. I, I think you and Lucas probably need to go and have a glass of wine or have a coffee and you know, really get to, <laughs> to remind each other why you guys had such a good relationship before you went back to Argentina. Because it just doesn't sound like you two have, have connected like the old good friends that you used to be. But overall, Jamie, kind of tapping in on that, I think the these last couple weeks in Costa Rica have been very interesting to watch uh, within the online fan base as it's almost become a little bit of a joke, a joke that I like, the the skepticism that we see in questions like Jason's. Jason asks, I mean, do we really know that these games even happen? I, I'm kind of into people kind of venting a little bit, not because I agree with what they're venting about, but preseason is an inherently boring time. So if we can be a little bit silly and if some of these people are saying these things in kind of a an ironic, ludicrous way, uh, it's making me smile. I kind of like these complaints about the lack of the s- streams, the lack of signings, the, the goals by Lucas Milano. I mean, there are worse things we could be talking about in preseason. Sure. Um, but luckily, there, no, luckily, there will be streams coming up. Um, let's let's hit that next. Um we are going to actually see soccer, um, not just everyone that's there in person, but there will be streams uh, coming up this week on Wednesday. So we'll get to see fans. Stage events. Hey, look, Jamie, they have tape of the moon landing, too. And some people oh, say man. the earth is round. So let's not go down these rabbit holes. Although rabbit holes also don't exist either. Don't get me started on rabbit holes. Someone's going to pull just that clip out. And, and that's going to be what the, the quotable words of Richard Farley going forward. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Tucson. Uh, so the Timbers arrived on Sunday. Uh, you've arrived after what sounded like a, um, entire day in PDX yesterday. Um, yeah, shout, shout out to the Portland airport and a couple of people that made it a little bit easier on me, but I think the limit for time any of us want to spend at the Portland airport is somewhere south of 12 hours. Yeah. I think that's a safe estimate. <laughs> Um, but the Timbers are going to play four preseason games in Tucson uh, before returning to Portland on Sunday, February 24th, ahead of that opener on March 2nd. Three out of the four games will be streamed. Um, that starts with the Timbers facing the Sounders on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Um, the game, otherwise known as today. Yes, otherwise known as the day that most people are probably listening to this podcast. So we're, we're recording Tuesday night, but... Most people are, are probably gearing up for this game right now as uh, as they listen. Um, so what do you think? What, what should we expect out of preseason camp in Arizona? What's the second phase uh, of this preseason camp? What do you want to see out of this? And what do you want to see out of the Timbers in these games? 
I think the key thing is continuing to build both the first and second units towards 90 minutes game fitness. And from talking to the players and talking to the staff, I honestly don't think that's much of a problem, but you still want to ramp players up slowly just for health reasons. Beyond that, I think we're just kind of looking for any other systemic or tactical tweaks that Giovanni Savarese might be implementing. Maybe if players are playing in different positions than we expected, but also there are key places on the depth chart that I think even though we don't want to make too much out of the preseason where the order or the groups in which players are playing are going to matter. Central defense has been talked about all offseason. To me, central midfield is the place where the depth is the most interesting because once you get beyond Diego Chara and David Guzman, you have a lot of players who are kind of on a similar level who have different skills that are going to distinguish themselves. We're talking about the striker rotation here, too. It's kind of a two-man race right now, although maybe Tomas Konechny gets involved in that. And then at right wing, I, I just think that Marvin Luria is going to be a factor here, Jamie. What about you? When you think about these games coming up, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I, I think for me, the most interesting is definitely sort of the how these competitions play out. I, I think the biggest thing is the what Giovanni Savarese wants to see right now is these players working up their minutes and getting the point where they're 90 minutes fit ahead of that March 2nd opener. But yeah, the most interesting thing is sort of seeing how these groups shake out because there is going to be sort of a starting group in certain games and what is a sort of a second group in other games. Um, I, I think central defense is the one that I, I've pointed out the most to who is going to most likely start alongside Mabiala. Um, I, the expectation I think is that Mabiala is going to be in there. I, anything could happen, but that, I think that's a safe expectation but who's going to start alongside him i think that's a question mark um i would expect a bobacy to end of the season as the the top forward but if milano's having a great camp that obviously could change uh as well um so i think those are some areas that'll be interesting to see how that sort of looks in the next four games um Obviously, if Luria starts getting a run with the first team, that's going to be really interesting. I, I just haven't seen him yet in preseason to to really see what you clearly have seen uh, in Costa Rica. Um, but that would be definitely pretty interesting to see as well. Well, I, I will say this. In talking to the coaching staff, some of the technical staff, going up to them and going, wow, Marvin Luria, he seems like he's one of the four or five best people here. You kind of get these nods going back at me like, oh, isn't this cute? This guy has an opinion. But also, just like this knowing... Uh, this knowing sense you get from experience that, look, he's only been here a week. Maybe he was one of the top players last week, but we'll see how what happens in week two and week three and week four that he's here. But building off of the Costa Rica cap and the start that he got there, I think it's very informative. You did mention central defense. You picked that out as your key focus as far as the battles are concerned. I didn't tell anybody about what I saw from Claude Dielna. Claude Dielna, he's getting thrown in some real situations over the last week. You see the partnerships that he's uh, been working in. He's pretty much been working with all of the people that are in competition there. He got some time with Bill Tuiloma, got some time with Larry Smalbiala, got some time with Julio Cascante. I would say that the scouting report that you and I, <laughs> I, would, I was about to say sharing, but more repeating about him from what we've been told about him and me going back on my notes of last year, it remains very true. The leadership qualities he brings are already apparent as he's telling people when they should step, where they should set up as far as the line is concerned. He's the person that's kind of marshalling things, organizing things. And 
the fact that he knows French has meant that he has a quick in into the team. I mean, you and I heard him. He clearly knows enough English, even if he maybe gets a little bit nervous about it when the microphones are on. He knows enough to survive in this atmosphere. But he's already forming very close relationships with Bill Tuiloma and Laris Mabiala. Mabiala. I think Claude Dielna is probably on track to live up to expectations. But again, Jamie, getting so far far ahead of myself. March 2nd is so far away. and already making predictions as to how these preseason performances will translate. I'm kind of sick of myself here because just taking this too seriously. <laughs> Well, take it just maybe something that we can answer. I don't know. Uh, I don't have an answer to this yet, but um, uh, we have a listener question. Um, will Geo play 45-45 lineups uh, Wednesday and Saturday, 60-30? What, do you have any idea, talking to Geo yet, what we're going to expect? No, not really. This definitely falls into the category of things that uh, Giovanni Savarese likes to keep a little bit nebulous beforehand. I imagine that there are four people in the world, maybe five that really know this and can name them for you right now. Carlos Chimosa, Memo Valencia, uh, Shannon Murray, um, Miles Joseph, and Gavin Wilkinson. I think it's possible that it'll be 45-45 still because the team is really working with three distinct groups at this point. And at this point, not all three of those groups have seen two sets of 45 minutes because there just weren't enough halves in Costa Rica. At the same time, you could see 60-30, but there are four more games here in Tucson before they travel back home in preparation for the Colorado game. If I had to put my money on it, I would think 45-45 is going to be it, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was 60-30. Well, I guess the one of the other important questions going into Wednesday's game, it comes from Andrew who says, will we see uh, Espria dance after scoring against Seattle again? I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Dairat Espria has been really, uh, well, I'll put it like this. I haven't personally picked him out as one of the best players in camp, although he has been very good, consistently good in this camp. But in talking to people within the team, his name has come up as somebody that has come into camp almost with an air of confidence after what he was able to contribute at the end of last season in the postseason. And I think we all know that Dairon Espria has a certain set of talents, and physically and athletically, he might have talents that can't be replicated anywhere else in this team. So, Jamie, I'll throw this out to you because you've covered Dairon throughout his whole time here in Portland. Do you still hold out hope that those physical talents, that athleticism, can translate to more production on a more consistent basis in the MLS regular season? Ah. Uh. Oh boy! Yeah, that was a pause. I, I don't know how much hope. I, I mean, it, 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 I feel like I've been very hopeful in the past, and as I keep covering, I the the, the team sometimes. Um, I, I don't know, just from being around it so much, you you lose a little bit of that hope. Um, yeah, but you know, it's possible. I I, I think assuming getting really excited. I, I think we've made this mistake in the past where we've gotten really excited about a performance here or there from a player, um, time and again with Alvis Pal. Um, saw a few good performances and said, this is it. This, this is when we're going to see the consistency. This is, this is the player. This is the beginning of, of what we've always wanted to see. Same with Darlington Nagby. Um, so I think it's really easy to get uh, to see a good performance or two and, and think this is leading to something more. Um, so I want to be careful with the Spria with assuming that uh, just because he had a great game against Seattle in the playoffs, um, but they, they wasn't, this consistency of a guy that looks like he's going to be able to produce for this team on a consistent basis. Now it, he's having a good camp. He's looked good in the bit that I saw. Um, 
maybe this is the year that he has a breakout year. But but I, I think it's hard to say at this point. I agree with you, Jamie. I mean, for me, though, even if the defensive effort can be consistent, I think he can continue to have a regular part in this team. And if he can find his way to five or six goals, I don't think anybody would call that a breakout year. But if you have somebody that's making 12 or 14 starts, consistently appearing off the bench, can contribute five or six goals, and is reliable defensively, on this team, that's a pretty valuable player, I think. But it remains to be seen. Hearing you talk, it it definitely came... Uh, conjured this idea of kind of the sizzle and steak all-stars for the Timbers where maybe what you're describing is the reputation outstretching the performance a little bit or the flashes hinting at something that isn't really there and I think number one on my list of all-time sizzle steak all-stars for the Timbers has to be has to be Khalif Al-Hassan has to be (laughs) right I mean this is a guy that was touted as a potential sale to Europe Uh, he could have been based on the talk of the time, one of the one of the most creative and impactful wide players in the league. And last year he played in USL. I think that's what I think of when it comes to like all time sizzle steak all-stars for the Portland Timbers. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure one of his goals made my like top 10 or top 20 goals in Timbers history too. That's the also the fun of it. Also, Darlington Ivy had like a bunch of goals on, on the best Timbers goals, even though that's like yeah. every goal he ever scored. <laughs> Boy, you're going to get some people mad by uh, lumping Nagby in here with the no, sizzle stick yeah, all-stars. No, Although, it, technically, you did not do that. You just located your sentence very close yeah. to the sizzle no, stick. I, w- I wouldn't put, I would not put Nagby in the, uh, the same boat, boat as Khalif Al-Hassan. But there was that feeling of wanting more from Nagby um, that I, I think is goes back to a little bit what we're talking about. But Nagby's obviously on a different level to begin with. And I also think describing Nagby in terms of kind of a harsh red meat doesn't quite seem right. He seems more like a very refined pasta, like a <laughs> like a very, very slowly crafted with a lot of care angel hair pasta with a very thin wine sauce that some people just might not like. But if you actually realize how much care had to go into that dish and realize how much other people like it, then you probably have an appreciation for it. So I, I don't know that Darlington is really a steak kind of person in this extended and brutalized metaphor <laughs> um so I, I mean I, I think we've covered you know a lot of preseason stuff a lot of a lot of we don't know what this actually means um not not a lot ton of specifics of which is just I sort of the nature of preseason but I, I think let, let's talk about um some of the other news that uh I think has been in uh, fans have a lot of interest in right in right now one thing I did want to hit on um is about the Timbers' new goalkeeper. Um, he hadn't come to Costa Rica. Uh, he wasn't with the team in Costa Rica. Um, my understanding is you might have an update on him. Yes, Jake Leaker was in Costa Rica. Sorry. Uh, very nice, <laughs> okay. very nice kid, about 23 years old, really getting along well with Foster Langsdorf as well as the other two rookies in camp. And I'm happy to report that everything is fine with Jake Leaker gonna make me try to say this <laughs> oh i i did not mean i didn't mean for my joke to imply that so i'll go ahead and take it from here so alias ivacic everybody knew got signed i don't know when did this get announced jamie three or four weeks ago yeah uh, but like he that. hasn't actually joined the team yet during the team's time in costa rica he was in portland getting his physical and a problem showed up on his physical uh, with his ankle, which required the Timbers and his Slovenian club to basically renegotiate the terms of his transfer. Now, he's going to be staying with the team despite this problem coming up. He's going to have, be having surgery scheduled for later this week, and he has a six to eight 
week window to return to being able to be selected on the field. But because of that injury, and it came up during the process of finalizing the deal, it actually took some time for the Timbers and the the Slovenian club to rework the deal. And they reworked the deal in a way that actually financially, to be honest, is going to be more favorable to the Timbers. Uh, but Jamie, I know you've also done some reporting on this. You you know all the th- same things that I'm hearing. He'll be available to start training with the team again soon. And um, I think the goal is basically to have the competition that they were bringing him in to have for the number one goalkeeper job to really kick up later in the season. But what was your original uh, initial reactions when you heard that this signing, uh, Alia Zivicic, was has been hurt? Yeah, I, I think you touched on it, and I, I don't know um, if you have an exact sense of how much money they're saving on, on the transfer fee because of this. It sounds like it's a significant um, amount of money. And, and so um, did, did you have a sense on the exact amount? I don't have a sense on the exact amount, but it is it is a significant amount of money. I think that, uh, you know, when – well – I'm in danger here of confirming a number that I don't know uh, actually exists because all I know about the exact number is kind of what else has been out there in the public, which is a quote of what was it? The report, Jamie, uh, uh, around two hundred thousand dollars or something like that for the transfer fee. So I think the Timbers are going to be recouping most of that money. Basically, there was the thought here that this is a significant enough injury where the player or not even an injury. It was just something that came up on the the medical where the player was going to have to have a procedure and when you're talking about a player where that's the transfer fee I think you're left with the decision of well do we still want this transfer to go through and the, the fact is when you acquire a goalkeeper who is Ivacic's age 24 years old you don't acquire him just to play in the first game of the season or even with only a one-year window in mind you acquire him because he's going to be a long-term part of this team and he could have potential value down the road you could be looking to make a profit on that investment you had here so I don't know that it was ever an option that the Timbers were going to say okay we're walking away from this deal but because the player wants to stay here he really wanted to make the move to the United States and Portland and because of the nature of his injury I'm under the impression that the Timbers were able to negotiate it so most of that fee is not actually going to be going. Yeah, I, I, that that's in line with what I understood too, that it's the fee was around 200000 and they, they are, sounds like they're re- recuperating um, most of that. It, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think this makes it... I, I think it's disappointing because the Timbers aren't going to be able to have one of, at this point, there are two new signings um, that are coming from outside the organization. Obviously, Loria and Zabrano are joining the team, too. They're not going to be able to have him on opening day. We're not going to be able to see him training in preseason and what he looks like. But, yeah, they're, they're getting a young goalkeeper, and they're saving a ton of money on him. And there was no indication that he was going to immediately take Jeff Adnell's job. I, I think we had discussed that. I assumed that we were going to see Jeff Adnell pretty much – that was the expectation on opening day. And over time, that competition might play out. Um, so I don't think this really changes anything to the lineup we were expecting to see, at least initially. Um, it changes maybe how early that this goalkeeper could have come in and potentially won that spot. But the, the, we don't even know if he would have won that spot. Adonel is coming off a good year. Um, but now the Timbers have a goalkeeper that's young, that they can continue building with towards the future. And they're getting him for much less than they were going to have to pay originally. 
Yeah, and I think the important thing here is that it really doesn't change anything about this goalkeeper. It doesn't change the fact that I know nothing about him. <laughs> it doesn't change the fact that he is still young, highly regarded by the staff here in Portland, but also played at the same club as NBA phenom, Dallas Mavericks, eventual rookie of the year, Luka Doncic. And I, to me, that's really what's most important here. If the Portland Timbers can get some kind of connection to the next big star in NBA basketball, I think you have to do it. So even if his even if his Slovenian team was like, no, we have to hold firm on this transfer fee. I would have been very disappointed if Gavin Wilkinson didn't seize on this opportunity to have some kind of connection to Luka Doncic. And I know you have strong feelings about this, Jamie, since it's a basketball thing. Your sarcastic voice sounds too close to your not sarcastic voice. It's really difficult. <laughs> I... I take offense to that. I take offense to that in the same way that I take offense to you insulting my friend Lucas Milano. You're a good friend, Lucas Milano, who I know you are still very close with. This is my sincerity voice, and I don't want anybody to be confused by that. <laughs> should should we move? Should yeah, we move well, on, Jamie? One caveat I just wanted to say is, if in six to eight weeks, um, you, this goalkeeper is not coming back, and this is a this turns into an injury that is lasting months upon months, and we the Timbers don't know his future at that point is when you, I think we'd be saying, yeah, this wasn't a good signing, but if he's coming back in the six to eight weeks as expected as what the medical staff is saying, um, I, I think the Timbers are ultimately just getting a better deal on it. Yeah. And, and like you hinted at, this wasn't going to be a make or break thing for this season for the Timbers. Uh, the goal that Gavin Wilkinson set out in his December press conference was to bring in competition at four positions. This is one of those people that was going to present competition for the starters, but they already had a starter in place. And uh, Jamie, you didn't say this explicitly, but I agree with your implication that nobody should be worried about Jeff Adzanella having to start the first game of the season, the first 12 games of the season, or maybe 34 games yeah. this season. The guy has proven himself enough at this point. Yeah, that is definitely not uh, the position that um, a position that I'm that concerned about. However, there are positions that I think uh, that you are concerned about. I am concerned about. Fans are concerned about. And let's start with the the most obvious one, um, which is the right back uh, position. Which which is the expectation was that the Timbers were going to absolutely have a right back before the the regular season because they are very thin at that position. The depth chart is essentially Zarek Valentin, Zarek Valentin, Zarek Valentin. Um, I, I mean, clearly other players <laughs> can play that position, but they they essentially have one right back on the roster right now. Both of us had reported, um, you know, that this was almost done. Um, yes. Marty asks that, talking about you tweeting out that it was almost done, um, where do we stand on this signing at this point? There's still no announcement. Marty's using my Christian name here, too, so he's really calling me out. First of all, I don't know what you have against Bill Tuiloma and Modu Jadama. Maybe the same things you have against Lucas Milano, Jamie. You're, you're really feeling distant from these players now that you're in Portland, they're in Tucson, but they still love you. They're right back options. They can play there, too. But I get what you're saying. Really, the person that was going to come in and compete with Zarek Valentin still isn't here. Uh, you're right, uh, Marty, and I think I'm going to say uh, mea culpa on this, and I wish I could put it out on Twitter, but it's just too long. To be quite honest with you, I'm learning a lot about what clubs have to go through at this stage of the transfer process when they're talking about players of this caliber. And for most of the time here in Portland, Portland hasn't been searching for players of the caliber that they are right now with the right back and the designated player striker position. And when you're in a market where you're willing to pay more for players and they're better players, they're going to have more 
teams demanding them. And what's more, they're going to be more likely to be in a situation where their clubs are going to want to keep them. Basically, once you get to the end of these processes, it's there are a lot more points of uncertainty. And to be quite frank with you, Marty, and with you, Jamie, and with everybody out there, I just didn't adjust the way that I talked about these things. Now, I'm going to take a step back from that and double down. The Timbers are still really close to signing their right back. We could hear things in the next few days. I feel almost like an idiot for saying that, Jamie, because you and I have been burned during this offseason by setting expectations in the wrong place. But there is no reason to believe that the Timbers' current search for a right back capable of coming in and competing with Zarek Valentin for a place in the starting 11 hasn't been moving forward. It just hasn't been moving forward consistent with the way I described it, Jamie. I don't know. Jamie, I want to ask you this question. Is When you think about how we talk about transfers or you think about the information that you've gotten from your sources and um, how it gets characterized or how you and I put it out there to the 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 kind of the posse that is on Twitter that is thriving with this information and is thirsty for it. Do you think that we need to change the way we talk about it now that the Timbers are in a, in a place of the transfer market where things are going to be more difficult for the team to lock down? I I don't think that we necessarily need to change the way we talk about it, but we need to be careful to understand what sources and and people were hearing things from exactly what they're saying. I I mean, we saw the 95% uh, about a striker what what does that actually mean um and and that as we've seen the timbers aren't even targeting the same dp strikers that they were when, when that report was coming out so what what i think's happened along this transfer window is that the end we've been hearing that it's close to done it's almost done it, it's basically done and that's not exactly what it what i usually in the past when that's what i've been hearing that it's been done. There's been a signing within a few days. Um, it just hasn't happened in this transfer window. And yeah, maybe that has to do with the type of player the Timbers are going after. Um, I, I think there is a sense that we might need to be a little bit more careful in, in um, really understanding what that means when, when we're hearing uh, this and that from different sources. I completely agree with you. And, you know, it's going to be a challenge for you and I to ask the extra question, right? We hear something, we need to get more information about it so we know how to characterize it. And I think in following that process over the last week or so, what I would say is the last thing that I said in describing these players, where when you get players of certain value and a certain quality, it's hard for clubs to give them up. And I think that's one of the stumbling points that has happened in this process where the Timbers have gotten, gone down the road and Whereas in the past, the Timbers buying power or the prestige or uh, the wants of the players to get to a better situation meant that the club's desires, the owning club's desires ended up losing out. Now, the Timbers are dealing with teams that have as high a reputation as they do, if not higher. They're dealing with players that have had other options in the past, do have other options now. So you can get to the point where you negotiate the numbers, you got the salary in place, you're pretty close on the transfer fee, you know you need to execute the deal now, and the other team can just go, you know what, just it doesn't feel right. Or the player is just like, ugh, you know, now that we're at this point in the process and I really have to make a decision, it just doesn't feel right. So I need to adjust that a little bit, but I think also just this is a good thing for the fans to know, too, that in the future, if the Timbers continue to want to spend at this level and spend for these type of players, they're going to be much more elusive captures than the players that have been acquired in the past. So what would you how, how do you think it would be appropriate to phrase um, where the Timbers are at with getting a right back into preseason camp at this point? 
hmm, that's a good question when I haven't asked myself before. <laughs> that's, that's the old cliche, right? It's always a good question if I didn't see it coming. Hmm. I don't know. Um, unfortunately, I think the most appropriate way to phrase it is probably the same way the team has characterized it to this point. What Gavin Wilkinson, what was it, 20 days ago, said he expected to uh, have a right back in in seven to 10 days. But obviously you would change the words on that now. But I think the level of optimism remains the same. The team is farther along than they were at that time. They're farther along with, I would say, their primary target. But they're still in this place where you're not at the paperwork stage. And I think that's a, that's a good way to describe it. There are these various stages. There is this, there's the identification stage, which is kind of ongoing between Gavin Wilkinson, Ned Grabovoy, their network of people, all, the list that they're always talking about, having X players at X position they can go for. Then there's the interest stage, where you're really finding out if the, a move is possible. Then there's the actual term stage, where you're really getting down to, do we have money that works? Do we have a structure that works. We know that Gavin Wilkinson likes to do the loan to buy deals. And do we have a transfer fee that works? But then there's the actual yes, yes, yes stage. Three parties have to say yes to that. And all it takes is one of those parties to go, eh, no. And I think that's what happened with one of the striker targets before, Jamie. We know based on reporting, there were two big striker targets out there. Julian, Julian Quinones from Tigres and Ezekiel Ponce, at, uh, who was on loan from Roma at AEK Athens. And with one of those targets, I'm under the impression that it just got to the point where at the end, one of those three yeses wasn't there. The terms were agreed to. The, everybody thought that the fit and the structure was right. But ultimately, at the end of the day, one of those three parties, non-timbers in this case, said, eh, just don't want to do it. And that's what can happen. That's where that 95% figure comes from. You have people going, oh, yeah, they know what the money is. People are interested. It must be a go. It's not a go until it hits 100%. And I think that's something that I personally really need to keep in mind when I'm tweeting out all of these hints in the future. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that DP striker. Um, as you just mentioned, um, the Timbers were, from all reports, were looking at Ezekiel Ponce uh, and uh, Julian Quiones. Um They're no longer targeting those two players, but my understanding from everything I've heard is the club is going after a higher-profile attacking player, a player that would cost more than the club has signed on a designated player ever before if it goes through. But it's a new target, and whether this pans out at this point, I think it's up in the air. I I don't think the club's going to rush into anything at this point if it doesn't pan out and they have to wait till summer. I I think they'll do that. Um, Not to say that I don't think they're going after a target right now and really trying to make it happen, Um, but they definitely, with the kind of money I I think they're looking at, this is something they're going to have to get right. Absolutely. And uh, I think that it's fair to say that this process is actively ongoing, maybe even aggressively ongoing. And like you said, the target, the nature of the target has changed. When you're talking about Ezekiel Ponce and uh, Julian Quinones, there are some things that this target has in common with the other targets that I think the staff has shifted to now, in that there's some positional versatility while still bringing designated player quality attacking talent. And I think both of those things characterize the names that I've heard associated with the current uh, targets. But whereas Ponce and Julian Quinones were in their early 20s, I think now part of the reason you hear 
uh, higher profile from um, the people we talk to or the sources that are out there, or I think MLSsoccer.com had a brief story about this last week, is because instead of looking for somebody that hasn't quite matured into the productivity that they're going to have in the prime of their career, the Timbers are now looking at players. They have the opportunity to look at players that are already in the prime of their career. We've heard various reports about record signings and the outlay. This would definitely be, if if one of these players comes through, definitely be the most expensive player salary wise in Timbers history. I'm not. I don't know if this is going to be the biggest transfer fee in, in Timbers history, but. That's mostly because the players that are now being considered are in the prime of their career, where you're not paying for prospects anymore, where the money that you're really putting into them goes to salary instead of transfer fees. That being said, the impact that these targets would have on the field is much greater than we should have expected from Ezekiel Ponce or Julian Quinones. I was talking to somebody today about some of the players that are in play or some the level of players that are in play. And I personally think, whereas right now I'm kind of characterizing Kansas City, Seattle, and Portland at the top of the Western Conference. And, and to be quite honest with you, Jamie, I think maybe you can say Portland is third out of three, even though it probably doesn't matter in the playoff system. I think if Portland gets the type of player that they want, they immediately go to the favorite in the Western Conference. That's me talking about it, but that's me trying to describe the caliber of player that the Timbers are thinking about bringing in. This is somebody that would be uh, expected to produce in line with Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco. Well, that all sounds really exciting. Um, but as Andrew, but is it real? But is it, but real? is it real? As Andrew asks, when should we hit, uh, hit the panic button about the right back and about the DP signings? You first. You first. I, I think... I, even if the Timbers don't get their designated player, I, I think clearly based on the targets they're going after, that would be disappointing because it, it's a difference maker that could could be the difference with the for the season. Um, but I, I think that they're going to have options there in the summer too. Um, so I don't really hit the panic button on that unless it doesn't come through now, it doesn't come through in the summer, and the Timbers look like they are just lacking in the attack. That's the point that I would hit the panic button on the DP because I don't think if they don't get it done now, I, I, as I've talked about, I'm not sure the Timbers have enough firepower at the forward position. I, I, I am a little bit concerned of what that's going to look like, but we saw what they did last year. Um, there's often better options in the summer uh, to begin with, and it gives a player like Abobasi a chance to prove himself early in the year. I don't think it's the worst thing. I, I think it would be much worse for the Timbers to rush into a signing that doesn't pan out and, and invest a lot of resources. The right back is a, is a different story. I, I'm pretty close to hitting the panic button on that one. If if we don't hear something by the end of this week, um, I'm pretty much feeling like I, I'm hitting the panic button because I'm at that point, I'm not sure if this is getting done um, in time for opening day. And, and even if it does, this player is going to need time to integrate. He certainly won't be in competition um, for playing time uh, at the beginning of the season if, if we're talking about days before uh, the season gets going. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's very difficult to imagine a player coming in at this point and starting over Zarek Valentin at the beginning of the year. But then again, it's MLS. You don't want to completely collapse in the first three months of the season, but you've got a chance to make that up at the end of the year. Uh, regarding panic, look, the team that got to last year's final only one major departure from that, Liam Ridgewell. And we're not even talking about the center back positions in this question. So I know 
I know panic maybe is just the word that we use in these situations, but if these two signings don't take place, I wouldn't panic because the guy that started at right back last year in the MLS Cup final is going to be your starting right back in Colorado, right? But there's a lack of depth at that position. Some of the goals the organization had for that position didn't get met. I would put it like this. You would rather the team not sign somebody than make a wrong signing. So even now, as we've multiple times, and Gavin Wilkinson kind of explicitly said, close to a right back, close to a right back, you would still, even at this point, rather go into the season with a depth chart of Zarek Valentin, Modu Jadama, Bill Tuiloma, than make a mistake and just sign somebody for the sake of keeping a promise, you said in the media. I guess I personally think that the bigger tell here is just if they get to the end of March, end of February, and haven't been able to bring in their right back, I think the bigger thing is needing to review why why weren't they able to push it over the line and then try to take those lessons into summer. But Jamie, I want to ask you a question that we see in various forms on Twitter that relates to what we're talking about. Are you concerned about the lack of offseason moves by the Timbers so far? Or how concerned are you? Because, look, we know that you don't like Lucas Milano. You don't like <laughs> Modu Jadama. You don't like Bill Tuiloma. You were just speaking very, very messily about Zarek Valentin, who has been nothing but a gem to you and is probably your second best friend on the team behind <laughs> Lucas Milano. So I know that you have just a high degree of rage coming through right now. So why don't you let the rage out here, Jamie? Because I know there's a lot of angst inside you that you need to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that sarcastic voice. It's it's just the same voice. Um, no, I I am concerned about the lack of moves that Timbers made in the offseason. I think making MLS Cup, obviously, one of the problems last time was that when the Timbers were in the MLS Cup in 2015, one of the problems was they weren't able to keep their core together. So I, I think it's potentially a good thing that they were able to keep their core intact they basically have the exact same roster um they are in a situation where they feels like they're picking up where they left off but everyone's a year older a lot of these key players are are at ages where a year older makes a little bit of a difference uh the timbers have to get better every year the league's getting better every year And, and to basically be at a point where they are essentially the same team as last year and that might be what they head into the season as um Essentially, at this point, if no more signings are made, uh, the Timbers will have lost the original add added Dielna. I think that's probably, you know, I, I think Dielna, as you said, could be a could be a good addition. But I, I think Liam Ridgewell, a healthy Liam Ridgewell, you got to say is better. Um, so I, I think that's not an upgrade. Um, and then they have a goalkeeper that are coming coming in that isn't going to play for at least eight weeks. So at least in, in the beginning that's not an addition we're going to see any value from. Uh, That is a bit concerning to me because I I think other teams out there have gone out and tried to get better. And whereas where the Timbers were out last year got the MLS Cup, we don't know if that same level is going to get them there this year. And we don't know if this team with the exact same players a year older is going to be able to maintain that same level either. Uh, So I want to see this team making moves to get better. Um, And... I think I've talked about my concerns in the attack. I think that I was a big proponent of them going after a designated player at the forward position. Like we've talked about, I don't think they can get that wrong. So if it doesn't happen now, it doesn't happen now. I definitely think they need a right back. They've lost Alvis Powell. They haven't replaced him. Uh, so it, it it's going to be a disappointing off season. If where we are now is where we start the season. And 
while some people might think that sounds harsh, I don't know actually, I don't know why I said that. I don't think anybody's going to think that sounds harsh. I think the Portland front office would also be pretty disappointed if they don't sign one of those two players, uh, specifically the right back. If they, if they have to go into the summer without their designated player striker, like we heard in December, that was always part of the plan. But it was always part of the plan to go out and get a right back this year too, so this offseason too. So if they hit march without that right back i think there will be internal disappointment too but i have to say kind of building off what what i mentioned before about this i think we can compartmentalize this into two different categories should people be disappointed with the product that they'll have on the field no if they they'll have a very similar team to the one that proved successful last year and while i think a full season of Raul Ruiz Diaz and Jordan Morris being ha- back, acquiring another center back means Seattle's going to be stronger. And I think Kansas City has made some pretty positive moves, bringing in Kelvin Rowe and Rodney Wallace this offseason, amongst other players. I still think the Timbers have a pretty competitive team and enough of a te- team with enough talent to put themselves in a position that they were last year when they made a cup run. That being said, the other place we should evaluate this on is kind of just ability to to meet objectives, right? So if we separate those two things, we disentangle them and we just say on the field, the Timbers are fine, but in terms of ability to meet offsets and goals, they weren't fine. I think that uh, Jamie, tell me if it makes sense to you. That to me seems like a, a more sensible way to talk about these things because they're two very distinct things. Yeah. I I mean, I think we need to talk about them both ways, but I I think that if you want a clear way to evaluate it and not sort of, debating on what this team's going to look like. The the clear way to evaluate it is, did this team meet the objectives they set out, set out at the beginning of the offseason? And the answer would be no at this point. You just lumped them back together, Jamie. I Look, I don't want to be have my name thrown in there with Lucas Milano and Moji Jadama and Bill Tuiloma. So I'm, I'm going to move on here to our next listener question and throw it at you. Casey asks, with all this worry about impending or not signings, when will Merritt come back to Twitter and shake things up. Well, I'm hoping that you're just knocking on his office door every day and telling him just, you know, signing it, showing him how to sign to a Twitter account, reminding him oh how God. fun it is. Cause I, as a reporter, I would love merit back on Twitter. And I, just as somebody who uh, has a healthy loathing for Twitter, I would love merit back on there just to drop some grenades and then sign off for the next 11 hours. I, I don't know why merit left Twitter. If he feels healthier on a personal level without it, that's completely a feeling that makes sense to me because, let's be honest, all of us feel healthier when we're not on Twitter. But I think Twitter and RCTID Twitter in particular are just so much less interesting and so so much less informed without Merritt on there. So how, how do we get this back, uh, Jamie? I don't think we need to do a GoFundMe on this for Merritt Paulson, but what do we do? What kind of cultural co- coercion can we u- use here? Do we have to kidnap his dog? <laughs> no, that's so mean. You never, that's like taking someone's child. Well, I'm not going to take Merritt's child, but, there, but the criminal But it's, the criminal but it's okay. Would, to, yeah, okay. Well, it's not like taking someone's child exactly, but... I it would not I would not be kidnap, kid, kidnapping dogs. I'm not involved okay. in that. I think you just got I think you just have to put like signs, just like little reminders. Like just basically tweet like post little post-its on his office door with all the mentions at him, just to the point where he's like, I have to respond to that. That that's what we need to I think that's where we need to go. 
Okay, well, I'm still not closing the door on kidnapping Diego, but I, I'm going to let your cooler head prevail here and move on to Eric's question. Uh, Eric asked something that I guess I think is kind of interesting because I don't know this answer, Jamie. Eric asked, what questions do you own? What, How you many- said what questions? What questions? Yeah, what questions do you own, Jamie? <laughs> Tell me. Uh, what jerseys do you own? And how many wins would the Timbers slash Thorns have to get for Jamie B. Goldberg to wear a kit in the press box? So I would never wear a kit in the press box ever. There's actually, um, for, for people that aren't in there, there are actually roles on most press boxes that state that you're not allowed to support either team. You're not allowed to cheer. And I think wearing a kit... Uh, equally goes with that. So I would never wear a kit. It doesn't matter how many wins or bets. I, I I don't think there's anything that could convince me to wear a kit in the press box. Um, in terms of how many jerseys I own, the answer is none. I don't own any jersey. I'm not a collector. Um, they know some, like Jonathan Tannenwell has like a great jersey collection. Um, I'm, I'm not really into the collecting of jerseys and covering the team. I, I've never... Um, really gone into that. My boyfriend actually has a huge collection of jerseys. Uh, both he has a few Timbers and um, a ton of European teams as well. But I have not gotten into the jersey collecting. Um, haven't really done that. So I have zero jerseys. Even though I cover soccer, I do not have a soccer jersey uh, <laughs> or really any Timbers or Thorns paraphernalia um, in my closet. So before I switched into soccer journalism, before eventually switching out of soccer journalism last year, my the four most influential players on me as a younger soccer fan, I bought their jerseys. Uh, and those four players were Javi Hernandez, Lionel Messi, Paul Scholes. And I'm loath to mention this last person because I am so embarrassed that for most of my life, this person was by far my favorite player, but this person's level of personal immorality makes me loathe to even say his name on our beautiful, beautiful podcast, Jamie, and that's Ryan Giggs. I am so ashamed that the first jersey I ever bought was a long sleeve red Manchester United kit with gigs on the back because I just thought he was inspirational when I watched him play. And it actually breaks my heart that this guy turned out to be a complete scumbag in his personal life. So uh, Eric, thanks for bringing up one of the worst, worst memories of my young adulthood, because that is a Jersey that I just had to throw out because I couldn't even bring myself to list it on eBay and try to get some money back from it. (sighs) Okay. Let's go to the next question. Nick, brings us back to the number nine conversation and asks, if we do not sign a number nine this winter, what would Jeremy Obobese have to do to prevent a DP9 signing this summer? I mean, I think he would have the opportunity to do that if the Timbers felt like he was their starter and was scoring goals in bunches. They might look to revisit what they wanted to do with that DP spot at that point. Um if he is scoring goals consistently and is looking like a guy that's going to get 10, 15 um, goals this year by that time, yeah, I think the Timbers might think about, is there, do we want to get someone who's more of a winger? Do we want to look in the, somewhere in the midfield? How, what do we want to do with this DP spot? But um, he'd have to take a, a really big jump uh, up from where we, from what we've seen from him so far in terms of production. Uh, it's really force that conversation 
I completely agree with you, Jamie. There is a level at which Jeremy Obobese could play for four months that would at least force that conversation amongst Wilkinson, Grabovoy, and Savarese. My question is whether that should be the case. Because ultimately, we are only talking about four months, no matter what happens in these four months. So should four months of performance be enough to sway an organization, organization's planning when it comes to something of this level? Now, it's one thing if, for example, Zarek Valentin gets off to a great four-month start last year. He had a great full season. But come the end of those four months, it becomes clear that he deserves a contract extension. Signing Zarek Valentin, it changes the whole picture at right back, maybe leads to the decision to trade Alvis Powell. Is there anything Jeremy Obobese could do to not only justify not going after another forward, but to not go after another forward that you were going to spend multiple millions of dollars on? It seems to me that's a different kind of bar, and I'm not sure unless... I don't know, Jamie, if he scored 17 goals in four months, I would still be saying to myself, hmm, maybe this is just Jack McInerney. I, I don't know. I, I think if Jeremy Bobasi was someone that looked like he was suddenly going to get 20 goals this year, it, you only have three DP spots. I, I think it would at least be a, a situation where they say, look, th- this is the guy we're going to try to see what if he can be our long-term option here. What way can we use that DP spot to get even better value while keeping Bobasi on the field? Um, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, well, I don't let me see it. this happening, but I, I think that with only three DP spots, if that's not an area in need at that point, then you look for your areas of need. Well, let me throw another kind of parallel or tangential hypothetical at you. Let's say Jeremy Obobese really, come July 1st, has 14 goals in 16 games. What do you think Jeremy Obobese's transfer value would be? I mean... That's- 21-year-old U.S. international, yeah. 14 goals in 16 games. And at that point, would it make more sense to investigate a potential 7 8 10 $12 million sale and then get the DP9 to replace Jeremy Bobasi as he goes someplace else? Yeah, that, that would definitely be a conversation I think they would be having. Well, I feel guilty for even bringing it up, but I, I do think that there's another side of a coin here and that Jeremy Obobese is an asset. He's a young asset. If he's a U.S. international going forward, which is still, we don't know about that. I think we might, I might be a little out of line even throwing that in here. But somebody of that age becomes a player like Julian Quinones or Ezekiel Ponce, who for the Timbers, instead of paying that price, you can reclaim that price and then invest that money in somebody who doesn't have as high a transfer fee, but is realizing a little bit more of their potential now. So I don't know, Jamie, it's not like you and I plan to talk about this, but I think it does show the different world that the Timbers are playing in now, where conversations like this, even two years ago, they're very difficult to have given the nature of those squads. Yeah. Unless we want to talk about selling Darlington Nagby to Celtic <laughs> again. Do we, want to, do we want to bring that up? You and I have never talked about that. No, I think that we should talk about some thorns. Uh, uh, since we have spent a long, long time on Timbers, I, there was a surprising amount of information that we had to get through um, for preseason. <laughs> but let's talk about the Thorns a little bit before we um, say goodbye for today. Uh, we got a little bit of news. The Thorns open camp on March 4th. They're going to host a preseason tournament at uh, University of Portland March 24th through 30th. Still don't have a schedule. That'd be nice to have, NWSL, but we still don't have a schedule. Um, Thorns officially signed Dagny Brynjastadr which we already knew. Uh, 
I, I guess from there, I mean, what do you think? Should we expect the Thorns to make other signings before camp opens at this point? No, I don't think we should expect that to happen. I mean, it, I think it could happen. And Jamie, I want to know your opinion or what you're hearing. But you look at the Thorns team and the person that they would have to sign at this point to justify pushing somebody off their roster. It's going to have to be a pretty big name. So I wouldn't expect that to happen if it hasn't happened by now, Jamie. I, I mean, I, the understanding that I had was that they were in discussions um, with some big time players, uh, whether or not those were going to pan out was a question mark. I, I think that the number six position was something they were looking at. Um, I'd be interested to see how that pans out, but I don't think it necessarily means it's going to happen before camp. Uh, it could happen in preseason still. It doesn't mean that that's not, it's not that it won't happen before the regular season, but yeah, I, I don't know at this point uh, where the thorns are going to be with these signings. And I think what's going to happen over the next four or five months is a lot of these prominent players that are in teams that are going to the World Cup who are expecting to compete are going to see their international worlds change either before the World Cup by their team's pecking orders changing or their expectations of those teams changing or during the World Cup, whether they they realize that, hey, this may be my last World Cup and I do feel like I want to change things. I think the world's going to open up to the thorns in a different way once those pictures start to come into focus a little bit. But as of right now, I think the idea of somebody significant being added to the team uh, by a signing as opposed to a trade before the first game of the season, I think that's very unlikely. Uh, Jamie, one other piece of news that we had today was U.S. Soccer announcing the roster and the extra training spots for the She Believes Cup. And only three Thorns were named to this, Jamie, not the usual four that we're used to seeing named. Eighty Franch is on the list. Emily Sonnet's on the list. Tobin Heath is on the list. No Lindsay Horan. Yeah, she, uh, Lindsay Horan is apparently dealing with a quad injury. Um, how severe that is, U.S. Soccer didn't say. Uh, so that's going to be definitely something to watch because uh, it's disappointing not to see Lindsay Horan in the She Believes Cup leading up to the uh, World Cup. Hopefully it's minor uh, because that's not good for the Thorns or U.S. Soccer if Lindsay Horan's out for a while. Yeah, I think if there's one thing she should believe in at this point, it's resting the players a little bit more. It seems like every time Thorne's preseason is about to come good, some U.S. national team member is coming back to camp a little bit hobbled. And we're not even talking about Tobin Heath, who had struggled with injuries at various points in her career and had a pretty healthy year last year. I think Lindsay Horan at this point for three years in a row has come back to Thorns camp with some kind of minor injury. And Lindsay Horan has done a good job of recovering from those injuries. But this has been a complaint for some time around U.S. women's soccer that the load that they have to carry in these in these national team camps is just too much and it leaves them battered. I think Rory Dames, the head coach of the Chicago Red Stars, most famously two postseasons ago said, Basically, U.S. soccer wrecked my team for this pro season. And Jamie, I feel like I feel like this is a typical you and me hot take to say something that's kind of obvious and be very passionate about it. But geez, at some point, don't you have to just on an ethical level be concerned about preserving your players? Yeah, I I mean, if you if you try to make sure you're not just focused on the team you follow, the amount of players that have come back injured across the NWSL it, from U.S. soccer is really absurd. Um, I'd like to get more information on exactly what they're trying to do to change this or, or whether they're monitoring their loads differently because it 
it just seems to be every single camp you just have a handful of players come back injured and that should not be happening at the rate that it appears to be happening i mean i've been you and i have been following the timbers now for three weeks in preseason that's a week longer than most of these u.s women's camps are Players have had to come out of training because they had an ankle injury in training or uh, weren't feeling quite right with something muscular. There have been no major injuries during this camp to this point. I mean, you Everybody saw the oh, lineups not, that yeah, they used. Yeah, knock on wood, but yeah. <laughs> you know what? I want to test my power here. No, but you, we all saw the lineups that they use in these hypothetical games in Costa Rica, according to some of the listeners, and they featured all the names yeah. that we would expect, right? So how do the Timbers go through three weeks of camps with a number of two-a-day sprinkled in there, with two friendlies in there against um, opposing competition, able to preserve their players, and U.S. soccer on the women's side chronically sends players back to their teams injured? Yeah, I imagine to some degree the Timbers have learned from their experience. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what U.S. soccer has done to learn from their experience, so it'd be unfair for me to assume they haven't, but the Timbers have had a difficult track record with injuries. And whether it's coincidence or there might be an element of coincidence in it, but they've been actively taking steps to to try to do a better job of keeping their players healthy. And over the last two years, you've seen that shift. Really last year in this preseason um, from what we were seeing in 2016, 2017. Um, I'm sure U.S. soccer is trying to keep their players healthy, but it feels given this experience that they need to be doing more uh, to try to figure out why so many players are coming back injured. Well, Jamie, let's shift the topic here to something a little bit more positive. I want to talk about Caitlin Ford, who had her own injury recovery last season after being hurt in the previous W league season. This W league season has been amazing for her with her goal this weekend in the semifinal for Sydney against the Brisbane Roar. She helped lead the team to a 2 to 1 victory, a place in the grand final. She now has 10 goals in 13 games during this season, 8 of those from non-penalty situations. And Jamie, you have been concerned about the forward situation for both the Timbers and the Thorns, and not without merit. Um, no pun intended there, as always. <laughs> Does Caitlin Ford's form in Australia give you any kind of reassurance about the Thorns striker situation going into the new season? Yeah, uh, it definitely makes me more optimistic. I, I think before Caitlin Ford's injury, there was a lot of excitement about what she was going to be able to provide for the Thorns last year. And obviously coming back from that injury at the end of the season, um, it's unfair, I think, to read too much into her performance at that point. So seeing her scoring goals like she is right now, um, if she can carry that form into the NWSL, that's really exciting for the Thorns. It doesn't solve their problem necessarily during the World Cup, but we've talked about that um, a little bit. It's that doesn't necessarily need to need to be their primary focus. Um, I, I think the one thing that you got to realize, though, is that the the Australian League is a lower level of competition. Uh, so we do have to sort of see how this will translate into her performance in the NWSL. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think Sam Kerr scoring 72 goals this year is really indicative of her level. No, of course, it's definitely lower. I think we kind of talked about Caitlin Ford a couple of weeks ago, a couple shows ago when the W League was more in the middle of their calendar. I think more than just the goals being scored, Jamie, it's just how she actually looks as far as her burst is concerned. And so 
whether it actually pans out come the season or not, I guess we'll have to debate a little bit or we'll have to wait and see. But I think these are nothing but positive signs as we go into that season. All right, Jamie, let's get to some questions here. Jeffrey has a very uh, little bit loaded question here. I don't know if it's loaded. There's just a word in here that kind of stands out. But I don't don't think it's incorrectly used. Um, Jeffrey asks, we are officially three weeks away from Thorne's camp, opening with only two signings on the roster of rookie draft pick and Dak Nebringard-Stoyter. After a humiliating defeat to the Courage in the final, have the Thorns done anything to close the gap between the clubs? Go first, Jamie. Yeah, um, I do want to clarify with the draft picks. They're not immediately on the roster. And the draft picks from last year, I believe, are coming into camp too. So those are still spots to be won, um, as far Mm -hmm. as I know. Uh, So just an important caveat, I think there's going to be a few players from the player from this draft and and the two players from last year are going to be competing for spots on the roster. Um, I, I think that in terms of closing the gap to the courage, the thorns haven't done a, t- a ton to show that they are trying to close that gap. I, I mean, they haven't made a lot of moves in the off season. The thing is that the thorns have been very good. I mean, if you look at their, what, what they've been able to accomplish for the last two years, this isn't a team that needs a ton of changes clearly to be able to get to where they they've been able to get to, but they struggled against the courage last year. And I would have liked to see them, do more. I, I know there's been discussion about whether or not they're going to sign a number six. I think that would be an interesting move to see. Um, if they made just one or two moves here and there, I think that could be the, the difference they need. But I'm not sure right now if, if this is a team that's going to be able to come into the season and do a better job competing against the Courage than they did last year. They, they've done it in the past, but but last year they really were not on the same level as North Carolina. And, and maybe North Carolina's not going to be on that level again either. I mean, that was a record-setting season for them. Yeah, I think the thing that stands out about Jeremy's question here is all the amplifiers here, which really show a level of frustration that I don't think is unique to Jeffrey. But saying that we are officially three weeks away, not just saying three weeks away, we're officially three weeks away with Thorns Can opening with only two signings on the roster. Not two signings, only two signings. Uh, After a humiliating defeat... Not just a defeat, a humiliating defeat. So Jeffrey is clearly frustrated here that the Thorns aren't acting with more of a sense of urgency. And quite frankly, after that NWSL final, I don't necessarily blame you, Jeffrey. But when I look at the Thorns roster, there isn't a talent gap between them and North Carolina and Chicago. In fact, I was talking to somebody down here or not down here, but in the airport yesterday during hour number eight, I think, of my stay in the airport about how in our opinions, we think Chicago has the most talented team in the league. It's a matchup thing. The way that North Carolina has organized their roster, the way that they play, it's just a very good matchup against the Thorns. So the question that Mark Parsons is dealing with right now is, do you change your team's entire identity? Do you roll over a lot of players on this squad merely because they are a poor matchup for one team, the North Carolina Courage? Or do you continue trying to build on what you have and try to find different solutions? And I think some people might go... No, you've shown that you cannot compete with North Carolina, so you need to blow things up. I personally don't think that says sends a good message to your players that, hey, you're successful 92, 88% of the time, but because you can't get over this one hump against a team that is clearly very good, by the way, it's not just some random team, it's a very good team, but because you can't do that, we're going to blow this up. I don't, I don't think that's what he should do. I also don't think that's what Jeffrey is suggesting either. What he's implicitly hinting at is whether the Thorns should have done more. 
But the reason I approached it like that is if you recognize that Portland, Chicago, and North Carolina all have these great talent bases to build off of already, then there's also a very limited scope of player out there in the world which would actually improve their talent. And those players are very difficult to get, which is why when we're talking about the potential acquisition of a number six, this is an elite player that they're going after. And it's a very hard grab, and it's part of the reason that it might not happen and we haven't seen it happen yet. It's just not that easy at this level of the talent spectrum to improve your team. And Jamie, I don't know how you feel about it, but I can't really think of players that are just out there available that the Thorns can just go get and expect to have a better chance to beat North Carolina. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, the Thorns are certainly in discussions with players. We don't have names uh out there at this point but they've certainly talked about being discussions with high profile players or players want to come to the thorns which i I think has helped them in the past um and and there are good players that aren't going to the world cup it's not easy to make upgrades and and i agree completely that the thorns shouldn't blow things up uh but i i i think the thorns it's disappointing not to see them at this point having done a little bit more to try to improve the roster um, instead of basically staying with the same group, go heading into the season. Now it, it might just be that they are this much better this season and North Carolina kind of comes back down to earth a little bit. And for a team that has been um, competing for the title for a few years now, it's not the worst thing to do to just stick with the same squad. I do want to see the Timbers and the Thorns, both, both teams getting better every year and, and making a significant upgrade here or there in the off season. Jamie, this is what I would challenge you and the listeners at. If you can identify somebody that would improve the Thorns, who would fit under their salary cap, who is the right positional fit, who doesn't take up an international spot that the the Thorns don't have, and doesn't upset their culture, and is willing to come this year, then I think you should probably tweet it at Mark Parsons. Because once you add all those things together, and wants to come, by the way, too, wants to come to the NWSL, you might have a list of three or four players and those three or four players might be making way more money than the NWSL can offer. So I agree with you that it would be nice if the thorns improved this off season, but quite frankly, it's just not that easy once you're at this level. Uh, Let's go to the next question, Jamie, assuming the thorns don't manage to bring in the number six they're looking for before the world cup. What's a likely starting 11 when the world cup players are gone. Let me just clarify something here. Just because they're adding a number six doesn't mean that they're adding a number six that would be available during the world cup time. If they, if the person was here this month and personally, look, most of the best players are going to be at the world cup. And while it'd be great to add a player who is a world cup caliber player that isn't there, the most important part of the season is happening after the World Cup. You want to be at your best there. I don't think it makes sense for a team to sacrifice the quality of a player just and go for a, another player just because they're going to be here during the World Cup. All the teams we're talking about have enough talent to survive the World Cup break. Okay. So to, trying to go through this roster and seeing who would be the starting lineup, I'm, I'm not, not going to completely do this positionally. Um, but I think you're, the top 11 that wouldn't be going to the World Cup would probably be Eckerstrom, Kling, uh, Reynolds, Mangas, Hubley, uh, Celeste, Dagny, and then uh, Mitch Purse, uh, Mallory Weber, Tyler Lucy, Anna Cernogorsevich, something along those lines. What do you think, Richard? 
Okay, so thanks for going first because it did actually give me a chance to sketch out my team. So uh, I do have an 11, but it's totally because Jamie actually kind of stalled for me there. So in goal, Britt Eckerstrom or Bella Bixby. Right back is either Catherine Reynolds or Elizabeth Ball. We saw Elizabeth Ball play right back a little bit last year, but I, I don't know if she projects as a right back. And um, Either way. Catherine Reynolds at right back, Elizabeth Ball center back, Emily Mangus center back, Megan Klingenberg left back. So not Kelly Midf- Hubley? Not Kelly Hubley. Okay. Midfield, Celeste Boure, Dagny Brynjars Deuter, and either Angela Salem or Sandra Yu. And in attack, Midge Purse, Anna Cernogosevic, Tyler Lucy, maybe Mallory Weber in there, maybe Ifiona Onomanu. Um, I don't think that's a bad group, considering that other teams are going to be pretty depleted too. I think, look, you've got a left back who four years ago was the best left back at the World Cup. You have Emily Menges, who is a best 11 level performer. Britt Eckerstrom, we've seen her play. Kath Reynolds, if she comes back, very valuable. Uh, Dagny Bringer Sorter, Celeste Bure, Anna Maria Cernogorshevich, Tyler Lucy is just a handful. Mitch Purse. You know, actually going through this 11, considering the constraints, I don't think this is a bad 11 at all. Yeah, I, I mean, Thinking about where other teams are going to be at, I think, especially defensively, they're really not losing all that much defensively. I, I mean, um, I, that's a little bit unfair to AD French, but they're only losing one player on the back line. Um, I think it's going to be tough to deal with the absences of a lot of the players in the attack, but a lot of teams, as you said, are going to be dealing with those sort of situations and this is an 11 that looks on paper like it, it could at least, um, you know, tread water, at least pick up some results uh, during that time. I definitely agree with you that goal scoring is going to be the issue here. Yeah. Uh, having somebody like Anna Maria Cernogosevic helps. Having a talent like Mitch Purse helps. Having the effort of Tyler Lucy helps. But this is where somebody like Dagny Brignard Stoyder is going to become important. And I know in talking about her before, you and I were a little bit hesitant to talk about the level at which she might be when she comes back, because it's a little bit unfair to her to cast any kind of expectations on her, even hypotheticals, when we haven't seen her post-pregnancy. At the same time, if she comes back to close to the level she was at before, that's somebody that can chip in a goal here or there too. And collectively, you have enough players that can get enough goals in enough situations that maybe through sheer resourcefulness, you can steal a couple of wins during the World Cup window. Yeah, yeah. the goal scoring is my big question mark in that group. But um, we'll have to see. It, 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 it certainly, I think they're in a better position this time around than they were the last time the, the World Cup um, came around. Now, Jamie, I know you're going to not think this is true because I'm using your trademarked sarcasm voice here. That's what you call this. But I am going to miss you next week because I'm going to be on vacation in California. So once again, we will not have shows. Maybe if there's one of these signings we're talking about, we can do like an emergency pod and I come come back from my parents' place in California. But I'm not going to be on the show. I'm not going to be at your place to pet pork chop again. <laughs> I'm going to miss you. But... I think we should probably announce that two weeks from now, we are planning to do a live show at Civic Tap Room. We are working on guests for that show as we speak. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned on Twitter. But just as we did a live show last year in the middle of the year with John Strong, we are efforting another live show at the beginning of the season, working with the Timbers organization to get a couple guests there. So I would say the Tuesday before 
the season starts before the team goes to Colorado try to block that out on your calendar hang out with a specific taff room at worst case scenario you can heckle me and my sarcasm voice while jamie's furrowed brow casts judgment on me from across the room <laughs> yeah so that's february 26 but yeah we're still working out the details and um as we have things hopefully um more sure we'll we'll be posting stuff on twitter and um uh sending some announcements out there so look out for that yeah, and I would say we're part of the reason here we're not giving you more details is that we're working with the club on which guests we can get to Civic Tap Room for that Tuesday night. And with the Timbers being in Costa Rica and, quite frankly, everybody in the organization focusing on getting these last two signings in place, I think it's been a little bit hard for them to go, oh, soccer made in Portland, let's put that on the top of our list. But I would also say if you're hearing this and you have a strong opinion about who we can ask to get from the organization to come to Civic Tap Room, hey, let us know. We'll pass that along. I think the only thing that's probably off limits are Thorns players because they won't be in town at that point. But, I mean, maybe give us a Thorns player name, too, and we can take a chance. Maybe they'll be in town early. Either way, try to block out that time. Come see us at Civic Tap Room and uh, let Jamie know that, you know, you guys really appreciate her putting up with me for this last <laughs> year of doing these shows because I think she really does need to know that it's worth it for her. <laughs> well, on that note... Um You'll, you'll hear us almost every week and not next week, but hopefully live uh, in two weeks. And that's it for today. We're Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us almost every week on uh, Timbers.com, Oregon Live, and Stumptown Footy. Or you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next time, take care. 